Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and go to the New Testament book of Luke. Luke chapter 6, as we are continuing our series here in this book, uh, this gospel account uh, written by Luke that we've titled The Man, the Myth, Messiah, as we look at who is Jesus and what does he really mean to me and what does it matter that I know about Jesus and what I think about Jesus and and how I live for Jesus. And so turn to Luke chapter 6, and today um, I want to talk to you about courage. I want to talk to you about courage. I think we'd all be in agreement that uh, we need more courage in our world today. Amen? We need courage. We need courage like um, the courage that an usher showed one day at church when he didn't recognize a lady who'd come in uh, to come and worship on a Sunday morning. And assuming that she was a guest, uh, he walked up to her and said, ma'am, can I help you find a seat? And she said, yes, sir, I do. Would you please, would you please take me to the front row because I want to be as close to the preacher as I possibly can be. And the usher, he was uh, quite an honest man. He said, well, ma'am, I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't think sitting close to the preacher will be any good because he's really boring. So if I hear any usher say that about me, (laughs) he said, I don't think that's really going to work because he's really, really boring. And the lady said, sir, do you know who I am? He said, no, ma'am, I don't know who you are. Who are you? And she said, well, I'm that preacher's mom. And I don't appreciate what you said about my son. And the usher, quick thinking, he said this, well, ma'am, do you know who I am? Do you know my name? And she said, no, sir, I don't. And he said, good. And he turned around and ran away. (laughs) That's the courage I'm talking about. Courage. We want to talk about courage. You know, uh, nobody, nobody wants to be called a coward. Isn't that right? You don't want to be called a coward. A coward is despised. It's one, of, it's one of the human conditions that is probably despised more than many other things. We will do many things in this world to avoid being called a coward. Just go back to middle school. Right? When you are asked or challenged to do dumb things, to do some crazy things because... You did not want it to be called that dreaded word. What's that word? Chicken. Don't call me chicken. I will do any, don't call me chicken. Just this past week, um, uh, Avery and Angela and I, we were having a conversation and uh, Avery began to explain about one of her friends at, at school and happened to be a boy and he was just doing some, some dumb things at lunch. I'm just minding my own business. And then Angela says, looks right at me and says, now Chris, now why do boys do dumb things? <laughs> and she looks at me and I've got two noodles sticking up my nose. I'm like, I, I have no idea why boys do dumb things. I don't know. And I said, well, one, boys do dumb things because they're just, they're just boys, right, moms and dads? I mean, they're just boys. And, but it's probably because somebody was daring him and he's like, I'm not going to be called chicken. We, we don't like that. We, we value courageous people. Uh, we, do, we dislike the cowardly. You look at any movie, just about any movie, the, the good guy, he's, 
he's the courageous one and the bad guy, and typically he is, he's the coward. Uh, in families, dads, you want, you want your wives and you want your children to see you be, you want, to, you want them to see you to be the, the hero. You want to be the hero. And when we think of when we think of those who are courageous, we think of men and women who do death-defying acts. You know, we think of firemen going into a burning building and rescuing children. We think of policemen who stand in the line of fire. They take the bullet for somebody. We think of, uh, we think of soldiers who give their lives for not only their country, but maybe for their friend that's next to them. They're, they're willing to pay the price. I know one set of uh, heroes or, or people who I think are, are courageous. I always think of uh, the astronauts from Apollo 13. Anybody remember that? The Apollo 13? What a great movie, but I was like, man, how courageous they were to, to fight through that. They were staring death in its eye, but they, they fought through the problem and they were, they were courageous. Um, COVID has introduced to us another set of people that we would identify as courageous, our first responders, our, uh, those in the medical force. And man, y'all have been pushed to the limit and uh, you, are, you are courageous and we're very, very thankful uh, for that. But, but we know that it takes a lot of courage to live in our world and to, and to do what's right and, and to not wimp out. You know this every day, you and I, we make decisions, we make choices. And every day, those choices reveal whether you are courageous or whether you are a coward. Well, in our text this morning, Jesus exhibits some uncommon courage. He's courageous. He shows us what being courageous looks like. He shows us what it's looked like to stand up for what's right, to stand up for the truth, and he shows us how to be courageous as we care for others. I really can't think of a more important message today uh, than that of courage in our culture. You and I both know we live in a culture where everybody can share their opinion but the believer. You know that. And you know that's just going to continue. You know that's going, to, that's going to continue to get worse. But there's ever been a moment for the followers of Christ to be courageous. It's today. That we need men and we need women who are willing to stand up for what's right, to speak the truth, and to take care of other people, because that's exactly what we see in our text this morning. I want you to watch this. Watch this, and hopefully we can gain some courage today by just watching Jesus in action. Look at our text. Look with me in verse number one of chapter six. Follow along in your copy of God's Word. It's on the screen behind me as well. But listen to what this, listen to this story. This is how it begins, how Luke begins this chapter. Now it happened that he, Jesus, he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath. And his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating uh, their grain. Two things I want to point out here. Number one, in the law, the Old Testament law, has a provision 
For those who were poor, they could walk along the outside edges of any field and they could take on the outside whatever they needed. They were only to use it for their own selves. They could not sell it. They could, make, they could not make a profit off that. They could only eat. They could glean off the edges of the grain fields. Perfectly legal in the law. Perfectly legal. The second thing I want you to see is this. Look at that first phrase that Luke uses. He uses the phrase, now it happened. It's, it's the Greek phrase or the Greek word, genomai. And, and, it means, and it means to happen with intent. It means on purpose. We get our English word, as you can see in the text, we get our English word or the verb, we get the verb happen. Now it happened. When you look up that definition of happen, you go to Webster's Dictionary. The first entry for that word happen, it means this, to occur by chance. Now you and I, we've heard the phrase, we've used the phrase before, well it just so happened. You know, you go to the store and it just so happened that I ran into so-and-so, so-and-so. And when we say that in our English mind, we say, oh, it just happened by chance. Oh, it just, it just happened. But our English mindset does not, it puts us at a disadvantage when we read this text and we read these three words. Now it happened. This moment that we're about to read, it did not happen by chance. This is not an accidental moment that, oh, Jesus just happened to show up on the scene and it just so happened that, that all of the parties who needed to be there were there and it just so happened the disciples. No, none of this happened by chance. As a matter of fact, something that we all need to understand in life is this, nothing ever happens by accident or by chance when it comes to Jesus. Everything has a purpose. Every good has a purpose, every bad has a purpose, every difficulty has a purpose. And so the very first thing that we have to see in this text, and Luke wants us to know this, it's this. This happened for a reason. This story that Luke is going to tell us, it's happened for a reason. And so he tells us that Jesus is on the Sabbath day. He's on the Sabbath, and, and the Pharisees are there, and they're seeing his disciples gathering up uh, some grain, some wheat, and they're eating, um, they're eating of this field. And so what we're going to see is that Jesus, that Jesus is going to confront, now listen to me, he's going to confront man-made traditions. Are you with me? He is going to confront man-made traditions, some things that men have put above Scripture, that, put, that they have put above Jesus. And so in this text, now it happened, Jesus is on a mission, he is on a purpose, and Jesus is not going to back down. I don't know about you, it gives me great courage to know that Jesus won't back down, amen? Knowing that Jesus won't back down, that gives me courage to know that I can stand up and that I won't back down. Now it happened. Turn over with me to Matthew chapter 12. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 12, we get Matthew's account of this very same story. 
It's the same story. The disciples eating the grain. The Pharisees are going to get mad at them. And uh, Jesus is going to heal a withered man's hand. We're going to read about that here in just a, for a few moments. But, but I want to point out the, 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 the purpose of Jesus here. Look at Matthew 12, verse 1. It's on the screen behind me as well. But this is Matthew's account, just the first part of verse 1. It says, at that time. Do you see it? Luke said, now it happened, genomai. Matthew says, at that time. Matthew uses a Greek word for the word time, and it's kairos. And that word kairos, it literally means an opportunity of time. It means a window of opportunity. So Luke says, this happened uh, for a reason. Matthew says, this happened at an opportune time, meaning if you miss this moment, then you've missed your opportunity. Now, I want you to get this picture. Are y'all with me still? Are you still with me? Okay, a couple of people. Are you still with me in the back? Are you with me? Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this time. Don't miss this opportunity, all right? Because here's, here's what happens in this word opportunity. We get the word opportunity from, from Latin, which the Latin phrase is ob portu, ab portu. In Latin and in ancient times, ab portu, where we get our word opportunity, it actually referenced a safe harbor. Ab portu meant this, that a captain of the ship, in order for him to come into safe harbor, before there were these modern harbors today, the, the captains in ancient times, they had to wait for the tide to move in at just the right moment. Does that make sense? Ab portu. They had to wait for the tide at the right time so the ship would take them into port. And if they missed the tide, they missed their opportunity. Are you getting the picture? So when Jesus comes here, so when Jesus arrives in the grain fields, knowing the Pharisees around, he knows this, man, this is my time. This is my opportunity, and I'm not going to back down. Go back to, go back to the book of Luke, okay? Go back to Luke. Look at verse number two now. Remember, the disciples, they're eating this grain. They're rubbing in their hands, and they're eating the grain. Verse number two. But some of the Pharisees, they said, now, Jesus, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus, why are you doing this? Now, if you remember last week's message, and if you weren't here, you can go back um, and watch that online, but, but I mentioned in last week's message that the Pharisees had a responsibility. And one of the responsibilities of Pharaohs, the, fa the, fa the Pharaohs, <laughs> I'm reading about Pharaoh in my quiet time, there you go. One of the responsibilities the Pharisees had was they were looking for the Messiah. And whenever they heard about a sign of the Messiah, they had to move into action. Do you remember me talking about this last week? Say yes, so that I may feel really good about myself. Good, good. So I don't have to explain it. I'll explain it. All right, here you go. Whenever a sign of the Messiah has been made, the Pharisees go into action, and there's two steps. The first step was a step of observation. Remember this? The step of observation. When they hear about a sign, the Pharisees would go to the person performing that sign, who may be the Messiah, and their responsibility was, we're just going to watch, we're going to observe, we're going to listen, we're going to see what he's doing, we're going to listen to what he's teaching, and we're going to watch his followers. But in the first stage, the stage of observation, there are no questions asked. It's observation. 
After they observe, they go back to Jerusalem. They gather around with the other Pharisees. They say, hey, is this guy really legit? Do we need to look at him even more so? If they think he's not legit, they forget about it. If they think he's legit, they move into stage two. And stage two is a stage of interrogation. Now look at verse number two. What happens? Who speaks here? Who's asking the question? The Pharisees. What stage have we just now moved into? Ha, do you get it? We have just moved into stage two of the Pharisees' interrogation of Jesus. Don't don't miss this. From this point on, all gloves are off. From this point on, the Pharisees They said, we're coming after Jesus. We're looking for ways to accuse him because we want to get rid of him. And for the rest of Jesus' life, for the rest of his life until his physical death, the Pharisees are out to get Jesus. And what I love about Jesus is this. He doesn't back away from it. He walks right into it because he has a reason and he has a purpose. So let's back up here. So Jesus and his disciples are walking through these grain fields. They're they're gathering the wheat and they're eating it. And they have people on the side who are spying on them. The Pharisees are spying on them. And the Pharisees, Pharisees say, Jesus, why are you breaking the law? Question for you guys. And I already gave you the answer earlier, if you remember. Was he breaking the law? He's not breaking the law. He's not breaking the law. He's not breaking God's law. But he is breaking a man-made law. I want you you to go with me to Exodus chapter 20. Go with me to Exodus chapter 20. Y'all still with me this morning? Is it still cold outside? Because it's starting to get warm in here. Can we just say thank you, Jesus, for a heater? Can you say thank you, Lord, for that? Isn't that good? Go to Exodus 20. Let me set this up for you. Exodus 20. Exodus 20, this is, this is the Ten Commandments. This is God's law. So this is going to show us here that, uh, about the Sabbath. Remember, because we're on the Sabbath. Look at verse number 8. We'll read it through verse 11. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, And you do all your work. But that seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on that seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. So here we are back in Luke chapter 6. We are on the Sabbath. We are on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, a day of rest, a day where there's not supposed to be work. It is, a, it, is, it is God's law. The Sabbath is. It's designed for rest. It's designed for relaxation. It's designed for worship. However, the Pharisees, the Pharisees added to God's law. 
I don't think you need this to be said, but I'm going to say it. Anytime you add to God's law, you're in trouble. Anytime you add to it, you are in trouble. Now, let me share with you what the Pharisees did. Because in this commandment on the Sabbath, it says you are not to work. That's what it says. You are not to work. Well, the Pharisees in all of their wisdom did not think that the Ten Commandments were specific enough. They believed them to be too general. They believed them to not be detailed, detailed enough. And so what the Pharisees began to do is they began to explain the Ten Commandments for every situation that they could think of. And they wrote a book called the Talmud. Some of you may, uh, may be familiar with the Talmud, but the Talmud is a, is a book of writings devoted to rabbinic ideas or uh, Pharisees' ideas about God's law. And so it's like a commentary. Are you with me? So they write this commentary about God's law, and on the law of the Sabbath, in the Talmud, are you ready for this? They devote 24 chapters just to the Sabbath. 24 chapters to the Sabbath. It's an extremely complex uh, system of external behavior. And the Pharisees for years, for years have put the Talmud and the Bible together, but whenever there was some questions, they'd always go back to man's idea about the text. Are you, are you following with me? Are you following with me? Is this as exciting for you as it is for me right now? And so they write this commentary and say, if you're going to be a Jew, you need to do, you need to live life according to the way we, we say it. And they began to put all these burdens on people. It has been said that there's one scholar who spent two and a half years of his life just studying the 24 chapters of the Talmud related to the Sabbath. That's insane. Now listen, listen to some of the things that they said. This is what Jesus was living in. This is what he's wrestling with. Here are some of the rules on Sabbath for a Jew. You cannot travel more than 3,000 feet from your home on Sabbath. But they gave you a provision. Here's the provision. But if you placed food at the 3,000 foot point and you did it before the Sabbath, that point would then be considered your home and then from that point you could walk another 3,000 feet. Crazy, here's, here's a couple other ones. An object tossed in the air could be caught with the same hand, but it could not be caught with the other hand because that would be a Sabbath violation. Okay, if a person reached out to pick up food when the Sabbath began and the food dropped, you could not pick it up because to bring the arm back while holding the food would be a Sabbath violation. It's forbidden to carry anything heavier than a dried fig. I mean, I worked out yesterday and figs are pretty heavy. How about this one? You could only have enough ink to write two letters of the alphabet. 
Clothes could not be examined or shaken down before putting them on because an insect might be killed in the process and that would be considered work. This is crazy. No fire could be lit or put out. Cold water could be poured into warm water. Yeah, but warm could not be poured into cold. Nothing could be sold or bought. Bathing was forbidden. Lest water be spilled on the floor and it washed the floor. Moving a chair was not allowed since it, since it might make a rut in a dirt floor, which was too much like plowing. Women, here's one for you. You ready for this one? Women were forbidden to look in a mirror. Because if they saw a white hair, they may be tempted to pull it out. These are the burdens that the Pharisees put on the people. Are, are, are you with me? These are the burdens that, that the Pharisees put on the people. I remember a few years ago when, when I visited Israel with some of, some of our church members, and when we visit there, we're, we're obviously there on a Sabbath. And I remember the first time I was there on a Sabbath, and I'm walking around the streets in Jerusalem, and, and you start to notice something on a Sabbath in Jerusalem. It's pretty quiet. Very few people are out on the streets. Very few people are doing anything. And I remember walking into our hotel and I see a, a, a lot, it looks like there's some, uh, some, some parties going on in the, uh, in the ballrooms or, or whatever. And so I asked one of the uh, people who worked at the hotel, and I said, what, what's going on? Did, I wasn't, really wasn't fully tracking. And he said, oh, these are Orthodox Jews. They can't fix their own meal, but they'll come to the hotel. We'll fix the meal, and they just eat the meal here. It's crazy. It is strange what's going on, but, but the point is this. The Pharisees put an unbelievable amount of burden on people. Let me, let me make a little application point here regarding the church and people coming to Jesus. We need to put as few pieces in between people and Jesus as possible. We need to make it simple for people to come to Jesus. Our ideas, no. But as a church, we should not put, pe- we should not put burdens on to people as if these, fulfilling these burdens are, is what causes you to come to Christ. Well, here in verse number two, Obviously, Jesus has had enough. Parents, have you ever had enough? It's about right here. I've had enough. He's had enough. Look, verse three. And Jesus answered them and said, have you not even read? Question. Have the Pharisees read? Have they read the Old Testament? Absolutely, they've read the Old Testament. So this question that Jesus is going to pose to them, he's actually saying, man, have you really read the Old Testament? What he's saying is, you've read, but you have not applied anything that has been written. 
Listen, I think a great definition for a Pharisee or a legalist is this, one who reads the Bible but expects other people to obey the Bible but you will never apply it to your own life. And listen, I see that so many times. I see that so many times in people's lives that, you know, yeah, I read the Bible, but then we get so critical of other people because they don't keep God's word. And then you look at your own life and you haven't kept God's word either. I mean, when you do that, when I do that, when we live that and we, we read the Bible, but we, but we expect other people to obey it, but we don't hold ourselves accountable, folks, that's called a Pharisee. That's called legalism. And Jesus has no room for legalism in your life. He said, it's not about your effort. All I want is I want you to read my word and I want you to apply my word to your life. And so Jesus says, look back at verse three. Have you not even read, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God and he took and he ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priest alone. And he gave it to his companions. Now stop there. Now what in the world is Jesus talking about here? The, the Pharisees knew this story from 1 Samuel chapter 21. They knew this, but let me give you a little background to this. Um, in the Old Testament, in the, temp, in the temple, there was a table in uh, the, the Holy of Holies, the holy place. It had 12 loaves of bread on it. It was called the table of showbread. And these loaves of bread were a constant reminder of the provision of God, the manna. Remember the manna from the Exodus? You remember that? It's God's provision. Jesus is the bread of life. He's our provision. And every day the priest would replace this bread with fresh, warm bread. The day-old bread could only be eaten by the priest. But the story that Jesus is talking about in 1 Samuel chapter 21, he tells a story of David who the Pharisees held high. They loved David. They loved David. David's on the run from Saul. He's hungry, he's tired, and he runs into the priest, Ahimelech, and he says to Ahimelech, hey, do you have anything to eat? I'm hungry, my men are hungry. And the priest said the right thing. So you know, David, I don't have anything to eat. All that I have is the day-old bread. I just took it off the table of the showbread. That's all that I have. And David says, great, we'll take it. And the next part of that story with Ahimelech says this. He says, David, hold on a second. And he goes around, Ahimelech goes around, and he prays and says, God, what shall I do? And in essence, God says, give him the bread, the man's hungry. He says he's hungry. Don't worry about, don't put rules and regulations in front of a human being's hunger. You take care of my man. And when Jesus tells this story, he's telling the Pharisees, he's saying, guys, listen, you are missing the mark. And he begins to show them the truth. Notice that Jesus could have said, hey, Pharisees, get off my back. I didn't do anything wrong. I bet he would have put that on social media, right? Well, I didn't do anything wrong. Get off my back. Leave me alone. He could have said that. He didn't do it. He could have said something like this. You know, Pharisees, that's just your interpretation of the law. That's not my interpretation of the law, so get off my back. Instead, here's what Jesus did. When he was confronted with a worldview that was not consistent with who he is and who he was, he confronted them with the truth. And here we see Jesus showing great courage. I want you to write this down because this is important. Write this down. 
It takes great courage to show people the truth. Amen? Okay, one of you got it. Fantastic. It takes great courage to show and to tell people the truth. And I've said it already, but I believe it's so true, and I'll say it again, that that too many believers were not willing to stand up for what's right in a world where tolerance is valued more than truth, where people people even doubt the existence of whether there's a right or there is a wrong, and where the whole society says, what's good for you may not be good for me. Here's the reality. Most believers are afraid to stand up for the truth. We're so afraid to be called prejudiced. We're so afraid to be called narrow-minded. We're so afraid to be called judgmental. Mental. We're so afraid to be called old-fashioned or out-of-date or bigoted or whatever. But when we look at our Savior, we look at our Messiah, he's not concerned about what other people call him. He's not concerned. He sees people that are in the wrong and out of a heart that is broken. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth because I care for you. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth. A few weeks ago, I was in a meeting where um, uh, Tony Evans, y'all remember, y'all know Tony Evans, Pastor Boat Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas, he spoke. So I'm in the same room with Tony Evans, and I'm like, oh, it's pretty cool. Uh, he's only that much taller than me, so that's pretty good. So um, he, uh, he said something that's this has been, this is playing in my mind and my heart for quite a while. And it's so true. He said this. He said, the church must stop fighting the world's problems with the world's solutions. He says, the church has the answers to the world's problems, and we, the church, need to tell the world the answers to her questions. Isn't that great? Maybe not. It's true. We have the answers. We have the answers to the world's problems. We have the answers to the world's solutions. And we do not need to be afraid to tell them, well, I'm afraid they're not going to like me. I'm afraid they're going to call me. They are going to call you something. They're going to. You may lose friends, yet that's going to happen. But listen, ultimately, the one who is true, Jesus, he told the truth, and ultimately he was crucified. Do you think they're going to treat us any better? No, they're not going to, but yet we still must so courage to speak the truth. We cannot back down from the truth, and it's going to take great courage. Now watch this. Now watch what Jesus does next. Because here's the reality, listen, we cannot speak the truth without being compassionate. Are you with me? We just can't be truth. If we just truth, we will push people away. Can't do that. Jesus didn't do it that way. We gotta speak truth, but we gotta do it with grace and compassion. Look, verse six. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if Jesus healed on Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. See, they're in the stage of interrogation. They want to take Jesus out. And why are they looking at Jesus on the Sabbath day? Because they're seeing if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. Again, on the Sabbath, their man-made law said it was unlawful to heal somebody on the Sabbath. Can you believe that? 
They said, you can't heal anybody on the Sabbath because that's considered work. They said, listen to what else they said about the Sabbath and about healing on the Sabbath. They said this, you can only help them. You can only help them to keep from getting worse, but not to improve their condition. Think about that. You can only help them a little bit, but we don't want to improve their condition. Here's what it literally says in the Talmud. It says this, a plain bandage could be put on a wound, but you can't use any ointment on the bandage. Plain wadding can be put onto a sore ear, but it cannot be medicated. I mean, are you guys getting the picture? And you're getting what these Pharisees do, and, and unfortunately so many times we do this as individuals, and sometimes as a church we do this. We put up so many rules and regulations that we keep people from the healer. And Jesus Jesus, he's in the synagogue, he's in the Sabbath, and he sees this man with a withered hand. Verse eight, and he knew what they, the Pharisees, were thinking. What are they thinking? We're about to bust him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to them. So get this, he's got the man with the withered hand. He's standing up there on the stage, and he's looking at the Pharisees, and actually, one other gospel account of this says that Jesus was angry. Can you see why he's angry? The people are keeping, the people are purposely keeping others from him. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees. He's got this man with a withered hand, and he's looking at them. And he says, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? They can't respond. Do you know why? Jesus has nailed them. He's nailed them. Because he's teaching them the truth. You can imagine that moment. It's quiet. All the eyes are on Jesus and this man. The Pharisees are like, what's going on? In verse 10, Jesus then says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Wow. Wow. And in that moment, Jesus shows us so, something so important that we understand when it, when it comes to bringing people to Jesus to himself. It's this. That when we speak truth, we've got, to incur we've got to care for them first. We've got to meet their need. We we've got to meet their need. So many times when we tell people about Jesus, we're, 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 we're overlooking that immediate physical need that can be met. Are you with me? We get so focused on the truth. Yes, 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 truth. We've got to have the truth. We need to know the truth. We've got to know it all. But on the other hand, when somebody's hurting, we've got to get down on our knees. We've got to wipe the tears. And we've just got to sit by them. I was reading a story this past week um, about a man named Charles. And uh, Charles... Um, 
loved to tell people about Jesus. He loved to tell people about Jesus. And so um, one day he had some new neighbors come in across the street. And so I'm going to go tell people about Jesus. And, and in the story, Charles goes over to his neighbor's house and he knocks on the door. The husband of the house comes to the door and Charles says, hey, introduce himself. Says, I, want, I want to invite you to church. Would you please come to church? And the other man said, you know, thank you, but no, but again, thank you for the invitation. But, but I do want to let you know that uh, um, I, I don't see why any reasonable person could ever believe in Christianity. As a matter of fact, I think Christianity is for weak people and I'm not a weak person. And he slammed the door. Charles thought, yeah, that, that went pretty good. And for the next two weeks, he prayed, like, God, give me courage. Give me courage. I want to share the truth with him. I want to share the truth with him. I want to share the truth with him. Give me courage. A couple of weeks went by. Then a storm came. Storm came, and so debris had come down on Charles' house in the neighborhood. And so after the storm, he's walking out, looking and inspecting everything, and he looks at his neighbor's yard and notice that there's tons of debris on the house. Gutters are dirty and whatnot. And at the same time, the, the wife walks out. And Charles just yells out to her, hey, I see that uh, the storm's pretty bad and, and I see you've got debris on your house and, and in the gutters. And, and then she just blurted out, ha, my husband will never clean those because he's deathly afraid of heights. light bulb went off. Charles said, I turned around and I ran into my garage and I got my ladder. And I ran over there and I just started working, just cleaned the debris, fixed it all. I said, I got done, laid the garage, I laid the ladder down and he said, the husband and the wife come over. And they said, Charles, we'll take up your invitation to church. And Charles said, they came to church with me, and that day they prayed to receive Christ as the Lord and Savior. We gotta care for other people. We've gotta care for other people to give them the truth. Folks, there's a lot of things going on in our world today. There's a lot of things that students and young generations are struggling with, and I believe this with all of my heart. It's a truth battle. There's a truth battle that's going, that's going on. But folks, we got to show them that we care with them, care about them first, and love them, and share the truth with them. Because we need people to know Jesus. Amen? I pray that you will be a person of courage to care for others and to teach them the truth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for this text. I thank you for Jesus being courageous. And I thank you that Jesus, you are the Lord of the Sabbath. You're the one who gives us rest. And I pray, Father, that we would follow you, follow your example, and be courageous. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.